all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 293 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Co-Coda Print episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that uh, in Canada, there is this drug, AC Amperstan C, which is a preparation of aspirin, codeine phosphate, and caffeine in tablet form. And it's basically, its chemical name is cocodiprin, the compound analgesic. And you can actually get the maximum dose, 60 milligrams of codeine, if you get 293 of Cocodiprin. And with that wonderful little bit of Canadian pharmaceutical knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. So, Cocodiprin is codeine? Basically, it's kind of like, it looks like it is a form of like Excedrin, but it uses codeine. Interesting. Like, Excedrin is acetaminophen, uh, it's acetaminophen, aspirin, and caffeine. And is that why Canadians are so nice? Because they're all hyped up on cocodamine, whatever it's called? Cocodaprin? Yes. Cocodaprin. So. That we have found the secret to Canadians. They're so fucked up. They used to call, they'd call it cocodamine, and they felt bad about it and didn't want to correct themselves anymore, so they just called it cocodaprin. There you go. Coketamine. There we go. Yeah. So. so how the hell are you, sir? Good. Um, codeine does make me think about a time uh, in my life, Matthew. Uh, back when I worked at a pharmacy, a, a compound pharmacy in a small town in Texas, uh, pretty close to spring, pretty close to the woodlands, and pretty close to Magnolia. There's a little town over there that's not so quite little anymore. And in that compound pharmacy, I used to work at the front desk, and the compound pharmacist, along with their technician that I knew from high school, on a Saturday afternoon, right before we were about to close up shop, I was going around cleaning and doing all that shit, uh, they called me over and decided to play a little prank on me, and they put a little bit of this codeine powder compound on my finger and they said here put a little on your tongue and i was like really i don't want to put some kind of weird compound you know pharmaceutical powder on my in my mouth period and they're like oh do it try it we're doing it and they they had the same stuff apparently and so i took it and put it in my mouth but i swallowed it and almost immediately, my throat started to close up. Everything became numb. My throat was numb. My entire mouth got numb. And it turned out it was a, some kind of concoction of, of codeine. And right when I did that, and they saw how much I ingested, they all flipped the fuck out. So, uh, yeah, I, that, that, that brought me back to a time when I almost died from uh, codeine. Wow. Uh, I didn't mean to bring the... Uh... Cocodabrin flashbacks, but goodness gracious. Sounds yeah. like uh, you, you dodged a bullet getting out of that pharmacy eventually. I did, I did. Well, I was let go. For taking too much codeine? I, I know, and that's what, <laughs> that's what got me hooked. <laughs> a slippery slope. First it's working in a pharmacy, then it's getting hooked on Cocodabrin or whatever. So, how's life treating you, sir? Oh, it's fine. Uh, fought off an illness of some sort. I never had so much liquid pass through me as I, uh, as did, uh, the past few days. So that was fun. How are you doing? I know class begins for you tomorrow and I know your kiddos had an end of summer slumber party. That seemed like a lot of fun. Oh, well, I'm sure it was fun for them. It was screaming bloody murder for me, but this is what happens when you have kids. And they're all, and specifically you have about a dozen 11-year-olds, girls, spending the night. They just scream and run around and yell. And, uh, you know, they. I will give them points. Their pillow slash blanket fort was top-notch. They did a good job with that. But beyond that, I was just kind of, like, I, I, I literally was out here playing some video games with my buddy Rob. 
and we're talking for a little bit and we're using discord and everything and so he can hear all the noise and everything and eventually i was just like dude i can't take it anymore and i just shut down the computer and i literally went and hid in my room and until i eventually was able to go to sleep so were you the only one there the only adult no no thankfully are you kidding me hell no there would be no way I don't even think in this day and age you could do something like that as a, as a dude, but <laughs> even if you could, no, I, my sanity would not have been able to handle that. Thankfully, the wife was there to save the day. Now, what do what are what games do they play nowadays? Like, are, are there like movies that they look forward to watching at these sleepovers, or is it just kind of running around and Honestly, screaming? It was yeah. There was no. Uh, I I think they're still in that stage where they haven't quite gotten to the truth or dare stages. They're they're really just now starting to kind of discover boys and stuff like that. So it was still primarily listening to music and um and and listening to. And, and screaming at each other and laughing and cutting up, watching movies, eating junk food. They had, you know, chicken nuggets and seasoned fries and ice cream and all that kind of crap. Ooh, they went all out with the seasoned fries. They really did. And uh, although the, probably the funniest thing I heard is one of the kids. <laughs> so uh, they they discovered our Echo, our Echo Dot that we have. And... They just thought it was the coolest thing to start yelling into it. Alexa, play this. Alexa, do this. Alexa, give me a sample of this. Blah, 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 blah. And eventually, a Luke Bryan song begins to play. And for those who don't know who he is, he's uh, a very popular country singer right now. And the one of the girls yells, I absolutely love... <laughs> it's still pretty funny thinking about it. Um, I absolutely love Luke Bryan. He's my favorite singer. He barely uses auto tune. <laughs> barely. <laughs> I love how that has become an acceptable thing in culture. You know, like auto tune. Even for kids, they know what auto tune is. They know every single one of their favorite pop stars or whoever uses auto tune. It's yeah, pretty, but, it's crazy. But do you think that the poor geologist who invented autotune ever saw this happening? No, what was it for? Was it for like vibrations? It and... really was. It was to be able to adjust frequency and vibration in the ground while they were looking for different, different rock striations and stuff like that. So they could do exploration without having to dig. And then yeah, someone was like, wow, you can, you, but you could do this with, any vibration in any frequency oh yeah you can adjust it to whatever you need to so that would leave and be like the human voice and they're like oh i guess you could and then someone picked it up from there and the university started using it and also and then before you know it people who were <laughs> only that, if yeah. they took that technology into a more sexual route then we may not have had auto-tune it's entirely possible i don't know what could auto-tune do for a dildo i was gonna i don't know auto-tune porn that would be weird yeah. Really sure. oh, yeah. All right. I can even mimic <laughs> auto tune. That'd be. Well, I'm sure it's out there. Rule 34 is still in play. But uh, anyhow, so uh, you know. But on my end, though, aside from the, the 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 slumber party action, now I'm gearing up for school. Uh, it's been very stressful. Had some uh, um, just been dealing with a lot of issues and everything. So it's it's just been today's been particularly craptastic in that regard but we shall we shall press on and in, in the immortal words of every trailer park resident we're gonna rebuild and uh, i'm sure we'll be okay <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's true <laughs> in fact you nailed both the women and the men so and the children no that, that's exactly either. how they sound that's right that's right this is what i figured just give me a pack of Winstons or Paul Malls and we'll call it a day. <sighs> but would you like to, uh, since, since it's been a little while, it's been a few weeks, would you like to uh, tickle the old mail sack? Yeah, give it a little little twickle. A little twickle, maybe a tickle, but a twickle sounds good too. <laughs> Let's do it. Check that mail sack, check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. <laughs> 
That's right, folks. We've got a little bit of email. Yes, and don't forget, you can send this email to the show at slscast.com, just like our favorite listener, Miss Diana Weeks, did. She writes in the subject line, Poughkeepsie! And I have to say it that way because there's an exclamation point at the end of Poughkeepsie. She writes, How surprised I was as I tucked into your latest episode to hear you speak of a city in my locale. I live an hour's drive from Poughkeepsie in the Hudson Valley and have actually been to 292 Brasserie. Hey! It is indeed shellfish heaven. Poughkeepsie is the northern endpoint of the Metro North Railroad that brings one to Grand Central Station in New York. Uh, a gorgeous ride along the Hudson River and the commuter line that Dick Van Dyke and Mad Men would have boarded in New Rochelle. She continues on by saying, Movie Pass still sucks. They want to charge me eight bucks for a matinee that costs six bucks without it. What the fuck? I'm keeping my card in case they get their head out of their asses. Cheers! Diana. Well, thank you so very much for the validation of Poughkeepsie and 292 Brasserie. That is outstanding. Tim, are you are you as flabbergasted as I that we actually have someone who not only can relate to our topic of opening, but actually has been to one of the like the 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 show title episodes, you know? The it, it's the actual episode and she's been there. It is pretty cool. I will have to say, uh, Miss Diana needs to be our go-to on-site investigator whenever we have any news pertaining to that area of the East Coast. You know, she'll be our validator. If any entertainment-related, well, I guess entertainment and food news comes up, uh, she will be the one to go to. Uh, but I, I, I will say this about the movie pass. There's a good chance that you could get rid of your movie pass and they may ask you back in about three more months. Well, it's kind of funny. So due to all the people who have been double charged uh, for their memberships, I saw online uh, yesterday or today, I can't remember, someone was actually billed their annual subscription five months early. They, uh, they're, they're double billing people. They're also pulling people back and canceling their cancellations. So I have been very vigilant about making sure that I have not been double billed or was not somehow brought back into MoviePass after leaving MoviePass. And so I, right before I deleted the app uh, yesterday, I checked one last time. I go into MoviePass and it's like, nope. It's like, hey, your MoviePass is gone. You know, your account has expired. But they, even then they were like, but if you'd like to reactivate, please come on and go ahead. Just accept our new terms. So gone is the nine-month thing. I think that they're just so, so desperate to have people come on and stay on that they're that they've gotten rid of that nine-month deal. Yeah, but it, it no, I, I I did not renew and I deleted the app. And um, as a matter of fact, just for just for kicks, just for kicks, we're gonna take a look right now and see if I have had nope. I have my special MoviePass cancel credit card through privacy. And uh, I set it for a one-time only transaction for $1. So they can't even... So if they were to try, it would automatically fail. And there have been no transactions on it. So I am officially free and clear of MoviePass. Good. Okay. So yeah. At any rate, but uh, again, that does bring us to the end of the email. So if you would like to reach out to us via email, we would love to hear from you. Please send us an email to the show at slscast.com. But we're not picky. We'll also take shout outs on Twitter at the SLScast. And of course, supporting the show via Patreon would be much greatly appreciated as well. And so, uh, Tim, I think we have a we have a very special bonus segment this week that we should jump into. I believe so. And I'm trying to remember, do we actually have a segment intro for this one since we haven't done it in such a long time? In a year and a half? I don't know that we have one. Um, but, but hey, we can do it this way. It's I'm the only one who hated it. Death metal music playing. <laughs> <laughs> and a fart noise, maybe. We'll, we'll see. I'm the only one who hated it! 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 Hated it!
hated it. <laughs> but at least now we have something that we can use. And uh, we won't have to hopefully ask this again. But if it's another year and a half, I don't know that we'll remember it. So, yes, that's right, folks. So as you know or may not know, but I did explain it in the last episode, uh, this is a simple segment where Tim and I each pick our own flick where it is either a critically acclaimed and or box office smash. And so, uh, and for whatever reason, despite said critical acclaim and or box office fanfare and audience's beloved status that, that it holds, we just simply hate this movie. And my movie is a, it's, it's from a franchise that sadly I have picked on quite atrociously over the years. This is, uh, the very first time we touched this franchise was back in episode six of the original series, the original back in 2011. Episode six, we covered Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part two. Now, at the time, I actually listened to our review. This was back when we could manage to get a review done from both sides in about three and a half minutes. I was blown away. Blown away. Uh, and we were both ultimately on the fence uh, on the fence for that movie, uh, uh, saying that while it's a technically good movie, it was still uh, disappointing. It's not something we were super, super happy with. And I even carried that disappointment over to uh, the to an ultimate letdown bonus segment that we had a while back as well because that movie just really ripped it out of me especially as the finale of the series and i am now taking the time to go to the beginning of this series with harry potter and the sorcerer's stone uh, known outside north america as harry potter and the philosopher's stone Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. In a few moments, you will pass through these doors and join your classmates. Keep an eye on the staircases. They like to change. Good afternoon, class. Welcome to your first flying lesson. Do you really have the scar? Wicked. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. First years should note that the dark forest is strictly forbidden. That no magic is to be used between the classes and the corridors. Petrificus Totalis. The third floor corridor is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to suffer a most painful death. Through the dungeon! Understand this, Harry, because it's very important. Not all wizards are good. I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed. Or worse, expelled. She needs to sort out her priorities. I think it is clear. We can expect great things from you. This movie was directed by Chris Columbus and had a screenplay by Steve Cloves, but was heavily, heavily, heavily supervised by J.K. Rowling herself. And any specific changes done uh, that might have altered something from the book were approved by J.K. Rowling. Now, I will give this, I will give this movie credit for at least really doing its very level best to try and stick to the movie. Or I'm sorry, try and stick to the book. But at the same time, the things they chose to cut were just absolutely horrible. Um, not to mention the pacing and the timing of the entire movie is very, very wonky. And the movie has not, in my opinion, aged particularly well. Um, and now the movie came out in 2001, uh, in November of 2001. And, um, yeah, so, so basically it's like three years away from being able to be on the show as it did at age well. But 
it's just it's a very wonky movie in terms of its timing and its and and its plot points and the way that it's paced and it it doesn't flow very well and i of course made the mistake of reading the book about 3 days before i went and saw the movie and i mean i literally had finished the book either the day of or the day before i went and saw the film and so it forever stuck with me as a what the hell is this and I just I couldn't get behind it I simply could not get behind it and and don't get me wrong I, I as I've stated before with this series because I liked three and five uh, and six wasn't terrible um, and, and seven part one is probably my favorite of all of them but just it kicked it off and just left such a poor taste in my mouth. And everybody will, everybody has always looked at me when I say I don't like the Harry Potter movies. And they're like, what the hell is the matter with you? And I'm like, well, first of all, have you ever read the books? And you'll find that a lot of people who are like, oh, how could you hate these movies? Never read the books. So that's number one. Then, even of the people who have read the books and still like the movies, I like, but did you see them in the theater? And and very few people who saw it in the theater who also like the books will say that the movie, the first movie, is like really super great. Now, the visualization of everything, actually seeing Hogwarts for the first time, and of course, make no mistake, that Richard Harris as Dumbledore is, you know, king of all. That is like forever Dumbledore in my heart but it, it, it so there are certain visualizations that really kind of are cool and bringing the book to life and all that kind of stuff and that I'll always give this movie for being able to at least bring a whole bunch of different visualizations to the fore but I just cannot forgive this movie for all of its flaws and the flaws are so 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 many and i just i can't do it and therefore i hate harry potter and the sorcerer's stone <sighs> i feel a little better I feel a little better tim I feel like a kind of you know release the demons this house is clear kind of a thing well, you are coming out of Movie Pass, so I'm sure that was a little bit of a load off. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm glad, though, I am also glad that I picked this movie because it, it at least, um, in the realm of fantasy, ties into your pick as well. So we kind of inadvertently themed it up a little bit, too. So, uh, yeah. Yes, ties in with my fantasy mixed with buddy <laughs> cop mixed with social commentary bull crap. Oh, the other guys? Is that the? <laughs> <is that, is laughs> oh, you mean you mean uh, the possible 2008 Oscar contender? The other guys. Yeah, uh, my film actually was released on Netflix on December twenty second, twenty seventeen. Uh, it had a Rotten Tomatoes score of twenty six percent, but it had an audience score of eighty four percent. My film is, of course, Bright, directed by David Ayer and written by Max Landis, starring Will Smith, Joel Edgerton, and Numi Rapace. Why is there a fairy in the bird feeder again? Good afternoon, officer. Fairy lives don't matter today. That's it right there. Now take the little homie out LAPD style like you do. Oh, and uh, you keep doing all your gangster stuff. I'm just trying to sell my house. Don't worry about that. Everybody's just trying to get along and have a good life. All of the races are different. Just because they're different doesn't mean anybody's better or worse than anybody. Hey, uh, where's the diversity hiring? I got a dude in my car. I didn't ask for it, but the whole world is watching. Boy, okay, you don't like me. Man, I'm not out here to be your friend. I need to know if shit pop off that you got my back. Can't hide it, Wood. Humans have physical tells. Like the face. What's my face? The human who needs a lot more conjugal love type face. Do not wink at me like that. 
The Rotten Tomatoes score is uh, based on, see, 24 people gave it a positive rating when 70 people gave it a poor rating. 84% was the audience score. Again, that was based on 18,531 reviews. That is, of course, of August 21st, 2018. What is this movie about? I don't actually remember, so I'm just going to quickly read this Rotten Tomatoes summary. Set in an alternate present day where humans and orcs, elves, and fairies have been coexisting since the beginning of time, this action thriller directed by David Ayer, who also directed Suicide Squad, End of Watch, and he was also the writer of Training Day, follows two cops from very different backgrounds. Ward, a human, played by Will Smith, and Jacoby, an orc, played by Joel Edgerton, embark on a routine night patrol that will alter the future of their world as they know it, Battling both their own personal differences as well as an onslaught of enemies, they must work together to protect a young female elf and a thought-to-be-forgotten relic, which in the wrong hands could destroy everything. Yes, and this movie was indeed rated in R, not rated, which I guess should have been R-rated because of all the violence and language and stuff. There are many reasons why a number of people can love a movie that you just simply dislike. A few examples here. One would be Citizen Kane, because it's an established masterpiece. Another example would be 2004's Ray, because Jamie Foxx's performance is absolutely fantastic. I personally love Citizen Kane, because it's actually a masterpiece. That seems like a justification, you know, because it's an established masterpiece. People justify that as not liking black and white, long, thought-provoking movies. But there is indeed a certain flavor of flick that tends to suck in the masses, and those are the bandwagon movies. The bandwagon movies are those movies that seem to attract a lot of people to be very popular because people end up liking it because they're told to like it, because their friends are liking it, because people at their work, because people at their school, people that they hang around with, they seem to quote these movies. Uh, some of these movies could be Grandma's Boy, uh, Super Troopers... Even I have here as an example, The Hangover 2. The hang the first Hangover movie I thought was a pretty good comedy. However, the sequel was just more of the same, but not done as well. But people just seem to love it. People love it. And I absolutely did not. And, and that is why I'm bringing up the movie Bright. Critics didn't really care about Bright. It's just another buddy cop movie. And a lot of us critics have seen every single buddy cop scenario play out on the screen. However, that doesn't mean we didn't set out to actually hate on Bright just because it was a buddy cop film. No, it just was a shitty movie to begin with. Again, the audience score was 80-something percent. They couldn't care less if it was a buddy cop genre or not. They just liked the fantasy aspect. They liked how the violence was fun. They liked how it reminded them of an older Will Smith movie. The fantasy aspects mixed in were interesting. It didn't matter how well it was all put together, how all it was structured together. People didn't care about that. They just went into it with a blind eye towards good filmmaking. It's not a god-awful movie. 
I think parts of it looks pretty good, and I think the overall idea of the movie is interesting. And really calling the movie not god-awful is a slight compliment if anybody out there has actually read any of the critical reviews. Will Smith plays a very toned-down version of his late 90s, early 2000s self. You know, his Will Smith character, you know, that we all know and love from Hitch and Wild Wild West, Men in Black, Men in Black 3, kind of even, Hitchcock. You know, that snarky, badass attitude that he had, he plays kind of that character in this movie, but a little bit more reserved. He plays this character, which may have worked if his lines were actually funny and well-written, and if Will Smith actually looked like he was having fun in this role and not obviously toning things down. It's difficult for me not to, or actually to pinpoint, why this movie fails when they have an interesting premise, as mentioned before, which combined the fantasy with modern-day issues with race and race profiling, and as well as with the police brutality and the corruption acting as the bridge between fantasy and these modern-day social issues. Max Landis's script ultimately failed because it just jumps right into the story where humankind and fantasy creatures just coexist, and he relies solely on an opening montage of various street art, providing somewhat of a backstory and copious amounts of exposition to make sure that the audience remembers what the MacGuffin is and isn't confused by the film's overly complex world-building. And there's a lot of world-building here. David Ayer's direction fails because you cannot make a straightforward modern police versus society flick with orcs, elves, fairies, and magic wands without proactively setting things up. The blending of polar opposite worlds within the landscape of an all-too-familiar present day keeps the film from becoming more than just an interesting idea. Maybe instead of focusing on hokey dialogue... For instance, fairy lives don't matter. In making all too obvious parallels, which don't actually work, because once you think a certain creature represents the quote-unquote thugs, or the quote-unquote elites, a piece of dialogue or exposition just derails that representation. They should have focused more on integration and the blending of cultures instead of how they are blatant, polar opposites. This is what the people, the audience, really didn't care about focusing on. And that's what annoys me about a lot of these Netflix movies, and about Netflix in general. And I don't want to get on that soapbox again about Netflix. It seems like Netflix wants to give the people what they want, but sometimes you need to expose them to concepts that maybe they didn't know that's what they needed. Maybe they didn't realize they would have liked something a little bit more complex if they actually took the time to flesh the story out. I mean, they were apparently already planning on a sequel to Bright, allegedly. Why not just expand the story over a couple movies, even, or make it into a, a miniseries? You know, maybe that would have worked out better, I don't know. That is why I am not at all... <laughs> a fan of Bright, and that is also why I very well am the only one who strongly disliked and, as a principle, hated the 2017 Netflix movie Bright. All right, well, that brings us to the end of I'm the Only One Who Hated It. Next week, we're going to be having a copycat throwdown, and we are going to try and do something we haven't really done before with a copycat throwdown. Uh, where we're going to actually do a copycat throwdown comparing two different sets of movies. Uh, one is going to be The Happy Time Murders versus Meet the Feebles. Uh, these are, even though Meet the Feebles is from uh, 1989, it is still a very adult-centric, R-rated, for, for lack of a better term, R-rated Muppet movie. 
much like what the happy time murders are supposed to be. Well, by Muppets, it's puppets. Mu- like yes, it's Muppet t- take. Because, yeah. because directed by Peter Jackson also. Is directed by Peter Jackson, but yes, they, they are not officially Muppets. They're just Muppet-like. So puppets, sure. Um, and then if, if it is possible, due to the nature of release schedules and whatnot, we will also double down on uh, the Papillon action. There's a new Papillon movie coming out very quickly. And providing that does indeed come out for both of us where we can see it, but like it's going to be a problem for Tim. It's really me. Um, you know, because Houston is like the redheaded stepchild of the movie industry, I guess. Uh, so uh, assuming that we can get Pap- uh, Papillon, then we'll also do Papillon 2018 against Papillon 1973. So, and the, and qu- coincidentally, Happy Time Murders and Papillon, if we can do it, will also be the movies that we'll cover for next week as well. So a little kind of bonus action there. And without further ado, I guess it is time for the movies of this week, is it not, sir? It is indeed. <laughs> Here we go, folks. It's the movie. <laughs> So, we have got First Reformed and RBG, not to be confused with the color scheme, RGB, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, where would you like to start first, sir? Let's do RBG. What, what's the color scheme of RGB? The red, green, blue. That is your traditional color scheme for TVs. Oh, I thought it was a shade. Uh, okay, never mind. All right. Here we go, folks. RBG. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. We welcome today Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's become such an icon. Do you mind signing this copy? I am 84 years old, and everyone wants to take a picture with me. <laughs> Notorious RBG. Yeah, yeah. When you come right down to it, the closest thing to a superhero I know. Ruth Bader Ginsburg changed the way the world is for American women. I became a lawyer when women were not wanted by the legal profession. Thousands of state and federal laws discriminated on the basis of gender. She was following in the footsteps of the battle for racial equality. She wanted equal protection for women. Men and women are persons of equal dignity and they should count equally before the law. She captured for the male members of the court what it was like to be a second-class citizen. The point is that the discriminatory line almost inevitably hurts women. I did see myself as kind of a kindergarten teacher in those days because the judges didn't think sex discrimination existed. I have had the great good fortune to share life with a partner truly extraordinary for his generation. He was the first boy I ever knew who cared that I had a brain. She is a center of power on and off the court. Every time Justice Ginsburg wrote a dissent, the internet would explode. I came up with a couple slogans. You can't spell truth without Ruth. I surely would not be in this room today without the determined efforts of men and women who kept dreams alive. All right. There you go. 2018 American documentary film directed and produced by Betsy West and Julie Cohen which focuses on the life and career of the United States Supreme Court of the United States Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, This was a Sundance Film Festival uh, premiere movie and uh, has been available on VOD for a bit. came out in May uh, for theaters. All right, so basically this is just a straightforward documentary on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her life and her career that uh, started off in Brooklyn. She is a she's from a Jewish family in Brooklyn and she went through life watching uh the sex uh, uh sexual discrimination and it and and how it affected her life, how it affected the lives of people around her, primarily women, but also men. Uh, for specific case points and stuff that she would later step up and 
fight for and how it culminated into a political career uh, that also but never shied away from her marriage she had a lifelong marriage to one man and um, she uh, and, and she ultimately was uh, nominated to the appellate court system by Jimmy Carter and then in 1993 she made it uh, as an appointee of Bill Clinton to the Supreme Court where she has been ever since and she's a rocking 84 year old woman who does you know one-armed push-ups and Pilates and kicks people in the face and everything I'm just kidding but she really does do like exceptional workouts <laughs> for a woman of her years uh, the film also explores the cultural impact that she has had because she because um, of her work with uh, women, with minorities, uh, and, and again, even with men and sexual discrimination, uh, where she was actually fighting against the welfare state when she was taking up cases for men who were being denied based on being a guy. So like a single dad who needed welfare help, they would be turned down where a single mom would not. And she fought the system for men just like she fought sexual discrimination for women in the workplace, in the government, and wherever else she felt the need to crusade. Um, so this movie is definitely, uh, I, I, I think it's, just like I said, it's a very straightforward documentary. And while I personally believe that she has done a great many wonderful things with her life and her career, I am not the biggest fan of her Supreme Court record. Um, but I think this movie definitely helps you understand her scope and the way that she has shaped and the way, and the way that her opinions, uh, were shaped as they related to things on the Supreme Court. And I, and she's even stated herself, uh, she states herself towards the end of the movie, if not at the end of the movie. So sorry, spoiler alert, I guess, <coughs> um, that, as long as she feels that she that her knowledge and her experience are useful and worthwhile and she can apply it to the law, then that's how long she's going to stay. If she can't do that anymore, then she's going to step down. And, um, you know, and, and, I, and I think that is admirable. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of back and forth that goes on about these lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court. And one of the more prescient points that I feel is something that I think is at least worth noting. I don't think it should be the deciding factor by any stretch of the imagination, and nor do I think it should really change. But the world is so incredibly vastly different than even just 25 years ago when she stepped up to the bench that you kind of almost have to wonder how how well are are all of our supreme court justices keeping up with the times so to speak and at what point do we need to step up and let you know air quotes the next generation come in but on the same but on the same token i think that she her her life and what she has done and how she came up shows just how far we've come and in certain areas how little has changed which i think is also a good point of the documentary but i think that this is really it is in no way shape or form a puff piece but i definitely think that uh this was primarily designed to glorify her achievements and um, and and not really challenge any of her ideas or legal standings. Now, that's not to say that things like women's rights and equality are things we should be questioning. That's not what I mean. But there are certain aspects to judgments that she's made in the last 25 years that maybe people would like to ask questions about or get better understandings about. And this movie doesn't really address all that. And that's okay. Because, again, this is just a straightforward documentary about a woman who is a hugely popular and powerful woman in the community for people of color and just for women's rights in general, and as well as demonstrating the best of liberal thought in the 20th century. 
So I give this one a four out of five and definitely recommend you check it out. What do you got there, Tim? So I thought this was a very entertaining movie, more entertaining really than engrossing. I thought it was a very light documentary and I agree with what you said. It may be light, but it's definitely not a puff piece. I do believe that this does play it safe when things start to get rather meaty (laughs) or chewy, I guess. And it seems to hit that, like, like start getting into, I don't want to say the darker side of her, but the more questionable things, but then it'll go to a, a, a Republican or somebody from the other side who, who automatically backs her up, maybe not necessarily in that particular uh, situation, but backs her up in how important she is in general, a part of this Supreme Court. Uh, and that happens a couple times when I was watching it and I thought, ooh, are they going to unveil something untruthful, maybe? not. I don't want to say untruthful, but un- unveil something not as rose-colored, I guess, as what we have been led on to believe. But what the movie does choose to focus on is all fantastic material, because she does play a big part, a great part, within our Supreme Court. And I do hope those of you who went into this movie thinking that she is a waste of a Supreme Court justice, I do hope this documentary would make you feel differently. Because a lot of people, when they think of either Supreme Court justices or people in politics, you have to have a quick comeback. You know, you you have to be snarky, you have to be comical, you have to talk fast. Whereas she, like some of the great philosophers and the great speakers, they take their time to think of their next word. Because the things that they want to say, they want to formulate it so it comes out exactly the way they would like it to be heard. And I think that's great. We need more people like that, especially within our current political climate. We need more people like that. It's just nobody really likes to sit and wait or listen even. Everybody has somewhere else to be. And she's different. She's calm. She's cool. She's collected. She is very thorough. And I see absolutely not nothing wrong with that. I am very familiar with a lot of the cases, uh, with most of the cases that they bring up. And the couple that I haven't heard too much about, it felt like I, I learned enough. But I thought this movie easily could have been a miniseries. And I think she deserves more of an in-depth overview of her life and her career. However, if I was going to say that this movie didn't deserve a high score because I felt like it was more of an entertaining puff piece. (laughs) I would be a hypocrite because you look at films like 20 Feet from Stardom, other documentaries that are more lighthearted and entertaining with a little bit of bite, but you go in for entertainment because of how great these people are. She's an interesting woman. She's a very funny woman, and you learn a lot about her. And I kind of think that's what this documentary was trying to get across. But again, it could have been significantly longer. I give this one a 4.5 out of 5. Right on, right on. All right, well, then that leaves us with First Reformed. I've decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. my son to enlist. It was a family tradition. Six months later, he was dead in Iraq. I was lost. My sins, the reading of the Lord. Praise be God. So how are you? I'm fine. No, really. It's been a while since we've talked. Even a pastor needs a pastor. Did you see the doctor? You need someone to take care of you. I want you to be happy. I know that nothing can change, and I know there is no hope. Yes, Mary. You must come over. You must come over now. Explosives. She was becoming someone I didn't know. Opportunistic diseases, anarchy, martial law. You will live to see this. You had no idea that he was thinking of. No, I'm so frightened. These kids, they want certainty. You know, don't think, follow. They fall prey to extremism. It's a world without hope. No, I have not lost my faith. You think that 
what we did together was a sin. I've seen enough real sin to know the difference. You didn't tell the police, right? Take a look at your own life before you criticize others. These are frightening times. We have to be patient. Well, somebody has to do something. My hands shake as I write these lines. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Can God forgive us for what we've done to this world? Who can know the mind of God? Yes, 2017 American drama film written and directed by Paul Schrader. Stars Ethan Hawke, uh, Amanda Seyfried, and Cedric Kyles, otherwise known as Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, follows a Protestant minister faced with questions of faith and morality while serving as pastor of a dwindling historical church. Um, Alright. So... This is one of those movies that is hailed as some like tour de force of storytelling and it's and people are comparing it to the great psychological dramas of the last 50 years. Um, Taxi Driver definitely comes to mind and that is, I don't know. For me, I felt like this was like a really, really well acted and well shot train wreck. Is that I? And I am, uh, and so I, I, I don't know what more to say other than, than that. It's not, it, and and it doesn't even get a bad score. It's it's a three, it's a three point five out of five. I I like the movie because I am, in, I am extremely intrigued by the character of Ernst Toller, uh, that's the the reverend that Ethan Hawke plays. And I liked watching his, not exactly like a descent into madness exactly, but I liked the, the character trying to balance the just the absolute insanity of the world around him with the one thing that he wants to claim as his core. And these things just simply cannot coexist, especially with uh, the guilt that he feels over his son, with the um, with his dealings with uh, the women around him and stuff, especially uh, the character of Mary, played by Amanda Seyfried. And yet, everything seems to just the storytelling itself seems to be just extremely overwrought. And even when things are subtly played, there's a really good scene in the in, in a, like a diner uh, where he where where Reverend Ernst is talking with one of the other. Um, Oh, is it the, oh. the cafeteria scene? Yeah, it's after in the he meets with scene. Cedric the Entertainer. Yes, yeah. and so and and so you've got this really great scene, and it just seems to be completely like it's the acting is really on point, but everything that they're discussing in terms of what's happening really seems to be um, unnecessarily overwrought and i don't know i just don't feel like the storytelling in in is is where it needs to be despite the fact that the actors are really good and the scene is shot well and, and i'm referring to where uh ernst and uh where taller and balk are talking together mike michael gaston plays uh edward balk and so it's like they've got these really interesting characters or a really compelling character, but this, this, the storytelling going around them just seems to be completely overwrought and, um, and, and unnecessary to the, to the journey this character is ultimately trying to make. And yet it's still acted very well, and it looks great. So despite my conflicting feelings on it, I still think it's a, I, I still think it's a good movie. I just really do not like the story in and of itself. I know it's it's a complete paradox, but that's Ethan Hawke. You see, I just I like Ethan Hawke so much. 
but no, I ultimately do land on 3.5 out of 5. Tim, help these people make sense of me if you can. And if not, I understand. The reason why I'm sure, Matt, you've been hearing people compare this to Taxi Driver is because First Reform was written and directed by Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver. Uh, he also wrote Raging Bull, so a handful of Martin Scorsese flicks. He's also directed a whole slew of really good movies, especially Blue Collar, which was a, a Richard Pryor movie from the late 70s or so. He has a track record of writing and even directing these very layered films with very complex and thought-provoking characters. Not all of his writings and not all of his directorial efforts are easily accessible for the enjoyment of a particular audience. I, right off the bat, am a fan of First Reformed. I saw it twice. I saw it in the theater uh, here a few months back. I think it was in May is when I first saw it. And then I watched it on VOD here just a couple days ago as a refresher. I thoroughly enjoyed it the second time around. Uh, the first time I saw it, I walked out giving it a four. I was able to pick up on more thing, more things, and notice a lot of the uh, a lot of these nuances the second time around, and it bumped up to a four point five. It's an ambitious film with a couple easy to forget but very crucial problems that keep this film from truly shining. For example, Ethan Hawke's dialogue. What you find out in the movie is that he hasn't always been a priest. Uh, he was a troubled father who turned to priesthood. Absolutely horrific things happened. So his dialogue sounds a little too perfect for being somebody that wasn't always a devout Catholic priest. I also wasn't a big fan of his alcoholic tendencies. I thought they were very obvious especially when he pours his bourbon or his whiskey into a bowl and he uses that to dip his bread into. I mean, all this is to, to show you that he is an alcoholic. Of course, it's important to show him drink when he's not supposed to. Of course, it was very effective when you see him peeing and you get a glimpse of the toilet bowl and it's just this dark, disgusting, unhealthy urine. So you automatically know how far along he is. And then I also didn't like the surreal ending. It became a little too surreal and over the top, which became more understandable the second time around. But this is otherwise an excellent film for the people who want something original and engrossing and very unpredictable. I thought Alexander Dinan gave the film a great look by beautifully framing every shot in 1.37. You know, what's great about shooting a modern movie in 1.37 aspect ratio, uh, and that, of course, is with the black bars on either side, this allows the viewer to focus more so on what the filmmaker wants you to focus on. So if you have these medium shots or the close-up shots, with this as in this aspect ratio in, in 1.37, you're focused on that face, or you're focused on that one character. It's hard to get a really good two-shot that's too close. So the medium shots have to be a little bit further away, or the medium shots have to be a little, a little closer, and it has to be framed either by the black boxes, or it's framed by chairs, or by the edges of a couch, or it's framed by the edge of a, of a building, or lamps, lighting, a countertop. It's well-constructed. It's a well-thought-out film. And really, the confines of those black bars adds to Ethan Hawke's character of Toller, because in a way, he finds himself confined in his spirituality, being a priest, in the confines of being in the church where he lives, which he calls it the gift shop, because it's an old historical church, and people like to come there and, and not necessarily really donate money to the church, but they buy things from the gift shop, you know, that seems to be a focal point, uh, or a high point to every tour that he gives. Really, the look of the film does a lot in helping the film with its many, many character layers. One of the reasons why I think a lot of people felt, or I guess didn't 
care too much about this movie. And I'm not saying this at all about you, Matt, but I've read some really bad reviews from just, again, casual moviegoers. Some of the critics' reviews as well is that I feel that some people are uncomfortable with movies like this, especially when it pertains to a religious figure and maybe even a psychological breakdown. Actually, people love movies about people that go through psychological breakdowns. You know, look at Memento. But you combine that with something like a with a character of a, of, of a religious faith who represents a religious faith, and then the setting is in the real world, people just don't like that. They feel very uneasy. And then they automatically put their blinders up. So it's difficult for those viewers to accept anything that is a little what one would call maybe outlandish or a little different, a little shocking. You know, it's difficult for people to really accept that when it's presented in such a way. And some people really don't understand a film about a character <laughs> with many layers in that it actually requires some of the viewers to peel back these layers to understand. And I'm not picking on people that did give it a three or people that did give it a two, or people that were like, you know what, I understood everything, and I got it, it's just, I, I didn't care for it, you know, but I do appreciate certain things. Well, hey, at least you tried. But there are just a lot of people out there that just really, really hated this movie, and I think it was just because they were uncomfortable. That's what makes this movie very intriguing, unpredictable, and highly engrossing. And I recommend all of you to go and check it out. It's a very good film. And granted, of course, it does have some issues, crucial issues even, that in a way are easy to forget once you take the entire movie into account. So I give First Reformed again a 4.5 out of 5, and I do highly recommend it. All right. So again, that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies, again, definitely going to be Happy Time Murders and hopefully 2018's Papillon. Uh, and those will also be done in conjunction with our copycat throwdown, if we can. So, without further ado, I believe that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on! A quiet night in a city that knows how to keep its secrets. But one man is still looking for the answers to life's persistent questions. That's me, or it used to be. It was a rainy Saturday night in St. Paul and I had just finished off a grilled cheese sandwich with beans for a chaser and it was time to head for work across the street. I'm a private eye. Noir's the name, Guy Noir. But I'd taken temporary employment about six years before, doing security for a radio show called A Prairie Home Companion on account of a serious cash flow problem due to a lack of missing heiresses and dead tycoons lying in the solarium with lipstick stains on their smoking jackets. In other words, I was broke. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me on Twitter. This is Matt at nitwit12345 and of course come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire and don't forget you can always get us on something like I don't even remember anymore <laughs> Stitcher iTunes Stitcher iTunes SoundCloud and other favorite podcast directories Google Music Thank Play you. or Google Play Music one of those yeah and if Matt can get his shit together, uh, we'll even be on Spotify pretty quick. So, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Cedric the Entertainer, I get to say this. It is a big world that we live in, and people have a choice to love who they love. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week.
madam. Perhaps we should be going. Oh, farewell, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.